0: ''I can't help thinking, though, that we may have tinkered with the past, Arch-Chancellor,'' said the senior wrangler. ''I don't see how,'' said Ridcully. ''After all, the past happened before we got here. ''Yes, but now we're here, we've changed it. Then, we changed it before.'' And that, they felt, pretty well summed it up. ''It is very easy to get ridiculously confused about the tenses of time travel, ''but most things can be resolved by a sufficiently large ego.'' "'It's jolly impressive to think that a university man will be helping to create a whole new approach to designing life-forms,' said the Chair of Indefinite Studies. "'Indeed, yes,' said the Dean. "'Who says education is a bad thing, eh?' "'I can't imagine,' said Ridcully. "'Who?' "'Well, if they did, we could point to Ponder Stibbons and say, "'Look at him!' "'worked hard at his studies, paid attention to his tutors, "'and now he's sitting on the right hand of a god. "'Won't that make it rather difficult for, um...?' "'The lecturer in recent runes began, but the dean got there first. "'That means on the right-hand side of the god, runes,' he said, "'which I suspect makes him an angel, technically. "'Surely not. He's scared of heights. "'Anyway, he's made of flesh and blood, "'and I'm sure angels have to be made of, of light or something.' "'He could be a saint, though, I suppose. "'Can he do miracles, then? "'I'm not sure. "'When we left, they were talking about redesigning male baboons behinds "'to make them more attractive. "'The wizards thought about this for a while. "'That would be a miracle in my book, certainly,' said Rid Cully. "'Can't say that's how I'd choose to spend an afternoon, though,' "'said the senior wrangler in a thoughtful voice.' According to the god, it's all to do with making creatures want to have to engage in to get to grips with making a new generation when they could otherwise be spending their time in more profitable activity. Apparently, a lot of animals will need a complete rebuild. From the bottom up. (laughs) Thank you for your contribution, Dean. "'So exactly how does it work, then?' said the senior wrangler. "'A female baboon sees a male baboon and says, "'My word, that's a very colourful bottom and no mistake. "'Let us engage in nuptial activity.' "'I must say, I've often wondered about that sort of thing myself,' "'said the lecturer in recent runes. "'Take frogs. "'Now, if I was a lady frog looking for a husband, "'I'd want to know about, well, size of legs, "'competence at catching flies.' "'Length of tongue?' said Ridcully. "'Dean, will you please take something for that cough?' "'Quite so,' said the lecturer in recent runes. "'Has he got a good pond?' and so on. "'I can't say I'd base my choice on his ability to inflate his throat "'to the same size as his stomach and go rabbit, rabbit, rabbit.' "'I believe it's ribbit, ribbit, ribbit runes.' "'Are you sure?' "'I believe so, yes.' "'Which ones go rabbit, 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 then?' Uh, "'Rabbits do, I believe.' Oh, yes, constantly, as I recall. I've always thought sex was really a rather tasteless way of ensuring the continuity of the species, said the chair of definite studies as they reached the beach. I'm sure there could be something better. It's all very mm, old fashioned to my mind, and far too energetic. Well, I'm I'm generally in agreement, but what would you suggest instead? said Ridcully, Bridge. "'said the Chair of Indefinite Studies firmly. "'Really? Bridge? "'You mean the game with cards?' said the Dean. "'I don't see why not. "'It can be extremely exciting, very sociable, "'and requires no special equipment.' "'But you do need four people,' Cully pointed out. "'Ah, yes, I had not considered that. "'Yes, I can see that there could be problems. "'All right, then. "'How about croquet? "'You can do that with two. Indeed, I've often enjoyed a quiet knockabout all by myself. Ridcully let a little more space come between him and the Chair of Indefinite Studies. I I fail to see how it could be utilised for the purpose of procreation, he said carefully. Recreation, yes, I'll grant you that, but not procreation. I mean, I mean, how would it work? He's the god, sniffed the Chair of Indefinite Studies. He's supposed to sort out the details, isn't he? "'But you think women would really decide to spend their life with a man "'just because he can swing a big mallet?' said the dean. "'I suppose when you'll come to think about it, "'that's no more ridiculous that...' "'Ridcully began and then stopped. "'I think we should leave this subject,' he said. "'I played croquet with him only last week,' hissed the dean to Ridcully, "'as the chair wandered off. "'I shan't be happy now until I've had a good bath.' We'll lock up his mallets when we get back. Depend upon it, Ridcully whispered. He's got books and books about croquet in his room. Did you know that? Some of them have got coloured illustrations. What of? Famous croquet strokes, said the dean. I think we ought to take his mallet away. Close to what I was thinking, dean. Close, said Ridcully. Once, a moderately jolly wizard camped by a dried-up waterhole under the shade of a tree that he was completely unable to identify. And he swore, as he hacked and hacked at a can of beer, saying, What kind of idiots put beer in tins? By the time he managed to make a hole with a sharp stone, the beer came out as high-speed froth, but he fielded as much as he could. Apart from the beer, though, things were looking up. He'd checked the trees for drop bears, and best of all, there was no sign of Scrappy. He managed to pierce another tin, more carefully this time, and sucked thoughtfully at the contents. What a country! Nothing was exactly what it turned out to be. Even the sparrows talked, or at least tried to say, "'Who's a pretty boy then?' and it never rained. And all the water hid underground, so they had to pump it out with windmills. He'd passed another one as he left the canyon country. This one was still managing a trickle of water, but it had dried up to an occasional drip even as he watched it. Damn, he should have picked up some water to take away while he was there. He looked at the food in the sack. There was a loaf of bread the size and weight of a cannonball, and some vegetables. But at least they were recognisable vegetables. There was even a potato. He held it up against the sunset. Rincewind had eaten in many countries on the disc, and sometimes he'd been able to complete an entire meal before having to run away and they'd always lacked something. Oh, people did great things with spices and olives and yams and rice and whatnot. But what he'd come to crave was the humble potato. Time was when a plate of mash or chips would have been his for the asking. All he'd needed to do was wander down to the kitchens and ask. Food was always available for the asking at Unseen University. You could say that for the place, even if you said it with your mouth full. And, ridiculous though it sounded now... He'd hardly ever done that. The dish of potatoes had come past at mealtimes and he'd probably have a spoonful, but sometimes he wouldn't. He let the dish go by. He'd have rice instead. Rice! All very nutritious in its way, but basically only grown where potatoes would have floated to the surface. He'd remember those times, sometimes, usually in his sleep, and wake up shouting, ''Will you pass the potatoes, please?'' Sometimes he remembered... The melted butter. Those were the bad days. He placed the potato reverentially on the ground and tipped out the rest of the bag. There was an onion and some carrots, a tin of tea, by the smell of it, and a little box of salt. A flash of inspiration struck him with all the force and brilliance that ideas have when they're travelling through beer. Soup. Nutritious and simple. You just boiled everything up. "'and, yes, he could use one of the empty beer tins and make a fire "'and chop up the vegetables, "'and the damp patch over there suggested there was water. "'He walked unsteadily over to have a look. "'There was a circular depression in the ground "'that looked as though it might have been some sort of pond once, "'and there was the usual cluster of slightly healthier than usual trees "'which you got in such places, "'but there was no sign of any water, and he was too tired to dig. "'Then another insight struck him at the speed of beer. "'Beer!' "'It was only water, really, with stuff in it, wasn't it? "'And most of what was in it was yeast, "'which was practically a medicine and definitely a food. "'In fact, when you thought about it, "'beer was only a kind of runny bread. "'In fact, it'd be better to use some of the beer in the soup. "'Beer soup.' "'A few brain cells registered their doubt, "'but the rest of them grabbed them by the collar and said hoarsely, "'People cook chicken in wine, didn't they?' "'It took him some time to hack one end off a tin,' but eventually he had it standing in the fire with the chopped-up vegetables floating in the froth. A few more doubts assailed him at this point, but they were elbowed aside, especially when the smell that floated up made his mouth water and he'd opened another tin of beer as a pre prandial appetiser. After a while, he poked the vegetables with a stick. They were still pretty hard, even though a lot of the beer seemed to have boiled away. Was there something else he hadn't done? Salt! Yes, that was it, salt. Marvellous stuff. He'd read where you went totally up the pole if you didn't have any salt for a couple of weeks. That was probably why he was feeling so odd at the moment. He fumbled for the salt box and dropped a pinch in the tin. It was a medicinal herb, salt. Good for wounds, wasn't it? And back in the really old days, hadn't soldiers been paid in salt? Wasn't that where the word salary came from? Must have been good then. "'You went on a forced march all week, building your road as you went, "'and then you fought the maddened blue-painted tribesmen of the Vexati, "'and you force marched all the way back home, "'and on Friday the centurion would turn up with a big sack and say, "'Well done, lads, here's some salt.' "'It was amazing how well his mind was working. "'He peered at the salt box again, shrugged, and tipped it all in. "'When you thought about it like that, salt must really be an amazing food.' And he hadn't had any for weeks, so that was probably why his eyesight was acting up and he couldn't feel his legs. He topped up the beer, too. He lay back with his head on a rock. Keep out of trouble and don't get involved. That was the important thing. Look at those stars up there with nothing to do all the time but sit there and shine. No one ever told them what to do, the lucky bastards. He woke up shivering. Something horrible had crawled into his mouth and it was no great relief to find out that it was his tongue. It was chilly, and the horizon suggested dawn. There was also a pathetic sucking noise. Some sheep had invaded his camp during the night. One of them was trying to get its mouth around an empty beer tin. It stopped when it saw that he'd woken up and backed away a bit, but not too far, while fixing him with the penetrating gaze of a domesticated animal, reminding its domesticator that they had a deal. His head ached. There had to be some water somewhere. He lurched to his feet and blinked at the horizon. There were windmills and things, weren't there? He remembered the stricken windmills from yesterday. Well, there was bound to be some water around, no matter what anyone said. Ye gods, he was thirsty. His gummed-up gaze fell upon last night's magnificent experiment in cookery. Yeasty vegetable soup, what a wonderful idea. Exactly the sort of idea that sounds really good around one o'clock in the morning when you've had too much to drink. Now he remembered with a shudder some of the great wheezes he'd had on similar occasions. Spaghetti and custard, that had been a good one. Deep-fried peas, that had been another triumph. And then there'd been the time when it had seemed a really good idea to eat some flour and yeast and then drink some warm water because he'd run out of bread. And after all, that was what the stomach saw, wasn't it? The thing about late-night cookery was that it made sense at the time. It always had some logic behind it. It just wasn't the kind of logic you'd use around midday. Still, he had to eat something, and the dark brown goo that half-filled the tin was the only available food in this vicinity that didn't have at least six legs. He didn't even think about eating mutton. You couldn't, when it was looking at you so pathetically. He poked the goo with a stick... It gripped the wood-like glue. Gear off! A blob eventually came loose. Rincewind tasted it gingerly. It was just possible that if you mixed yeasty beer and vegetables together, you'd get... No. What you got was salty-tasting, beery, brown gunk. Odd, though. It was kind of horrible, but nevertheless Rincewind found himself having another taste. Oh, gods! Now he was really thirsty. "'He picked up the tin and staggered off towards some trees. "'That's where you found water. "'You looked at where the trees were, and tired or not, you dug down. "'It took him half an hour to squash an empty beer tin "'and use it to dig a hole waist-deep. "'His toes felt damp. "'Another half an hour took him to shoulder depth and a pair of wet ankles. "'Say what you like, that brown muck was good stuff. "'It was the runny equivalent of dwarf bread.' "'You didn't really believe what your mouth said you'd just tasted, so you had some more. "'Probably full of nourishing vitamins and minerals. "'Most things you couldn't believe the taste of generally were. "'By the time he raised his head, he was surrounded by sheep, "'eyeing him cautiously in between longing glances into the damp depths. "'It's no good you lot looking at me like that,' he said. "'They paid no attention. They carried on looking at him. "'It's not my fault.' Vince Wind muttered. "'I don't care what any kangaroo says. "'I just arrived here. "'I'm not responsible for the weather, for heaven's sake.' They went on looking. He cracked. "'Practically anyone will crack before a sheep cracks. "'A sheep hasn't got much that's crackable. "'Oh, hell, maybe I can rig up some kind of bucket and pulley arrangement,' he said. "'It's not as though I've got any appointments today.' "'He was digging a bit further in the hope of getting deep enough "'before the water ran away completely, when he heard someone whistling. "'He looked up through the legs of the sheep. "'A man was creeping down across the dried-up waterhole, "'whistling tunelessly between his teeth. "'He'd failed to notice Rincewind "'because his gaze was fixed so intently on the milling sheep. "'He dropped the pack he'd been carrying, "'pulled out a sack, sidled towards a sheep all by itself, and leapt. "'It barely had time to bleat. "'As he was stuffing it into the sack... A voice said, that probably belongs to someone you know. The man looked around hurriedly. The voice was coming from a group of sheep. I reckon you could get into serious trouble stealing sheep. You'll regret it later on, I'm sure. Probably someone really cares about that sheep. Come on, let it go. The man stared around wildly. "'I mean, think about it,' the voice went on. "'You've got this nice country here, parrots and everything, "'and you're going to spoil it all by stealing someone's sheep "'that they've worked so hard to grow. "'I bet you wouldn't like to be remembered as a sheep-stealer.' "'Oh!' "'The man had dropped the sack and was running away very fast. "'Well, you didn't have to waltz off like that. "'I was only trying to appeal to your better nature,' "'said Rincewind, pulling himself up out of the hole. "'He cupped his hands. "'And you've forgotten your camping stuff!' "'he shouted after the disappearing dust.' The sack barred. Rincewind picked it up and a noise behind him made him look round. There was another man watching him from the back of a horse. He was glaring. Behind him were three men wearing identical helmets and jerkins and humourless expressions that had watchmen written all over them in slow handwriting. And all three were pointing crossbows at him. That bottomless feeling that he had once again wandered into something that didn't concern him and was going to find it hard to wander out again grew within Rincewind. He tried to smile. Uh, "Good day," he said. Uh, no worries, eh? I must say I'm really glad to see you drongos and no two ways about it. Ponder Stibbons cleared his throat. Where would you like me to start, he said. I could probably finish off the elephant. "'How are you at slime?' "'Ponder hadn't considered a future as a slime designer, "'but everyone had to start somewhere. "'Fine,' he said, fine. "'Of course, slime just splits down the middle,' said the god, "'as they walked along rows of glowing life-filled cubes "'while beetles sizzled overhead.' Not a lot of future in that, really. It works all right for lower life forms, but frankly it's a bit embarrassing for the more complicated creatures and positively lethal for horses. No, sex is going to be very, very useful, Ponder. It'll keep everything on its toes. And that will give us time to work on the big project. Ponder sighed. Ah, he knew there had to be a big project. The big project. A god wasn't going to do all this sort of thing just to make life better for inflammable cows. Could I help with that, he said. I'm sure I could make a contribution. Really? I thought perhaps animals and birds would be more up your... uh, up your... uh..." The god waved his hands vaguely. Up whatever you walk on where you live. ''Well, yes, but they're a bit limited, aren't they?'' said Ponder. The god beamed. ''There's nothing like being near a happy god. It's like giving your brain a hot bath.'' ''Exactly!'' he said. ''Limited, the very word. Each one stuck in some desert or jungle or mountain, relying on one or two foods, at the mercy of every vagary of the universe and wiped out by the merest change of climate. What a terrible waste!'' ''That's right,'' said Ponder. ''What you need is a creature that is resourceful... And adaptable, am I right? Oh, very well put, Ponder. I can see you've turned up at just the right time. A pair of huge doors swung open in front of them, revealing a circular room with a shallow pyramid of steps in the centre. At the summit was another cloud of blue mist, in which occasional lights flared and died. The future unrolled in front of Ponder Stibbons. His eyes were so bright that his glasses steamed, that he could probably scorch holes in thin paper. Oh, right, what more could any natural philosopher dream of? He'd got the theories, now he could do the practice, and this time it'd be done properly. To hell with messing up the future. That's what the future was for. Oh, he'd been against it, that was true, but it had been, well, when someone else was thinking of doing it. But now he'd got the ear of a god, and maybe some intelligence could be applied to the task of creating... intelligence? For a start... "'It ought to be possible to put together the human brain "'so that long beards weren't associated with wisdom, "'which would instead be seen to reside in those who were young and skinny "'and required glasses for close work. "'And you've finished this?' he said as they climbed the steps. "'Broadly, yes,' said the god. "'My greatest achievement. "'Frankly, it makes the elephants look very flimsy by comparison, "'but there's plenty of fine detail left to do if you think you're up to it.' "'It'd be an honour, said Ponder. "'The blue mist was right in front of him. "'By the look of the sparks, something very important was happening in there. "'Do you give them any instructions before you let them out?' he said, his breathing shallow. "'A few simple ones,' said the god. "'He waved a wrinkled hand and the glowing ball began to contract. "'Mostly they work things out themselves.' "'Of course, of course,' said Ponder. "'And I suppose if they go wrong we could always put them right with a few commandments.' "'Not really necessary,' said the god, as the blue ball vanished and revealed the pinnacle of creation. "'I find very simple instructions are quite sufficient. "'You know, head for dark places, that sort of thing. "'There! Isn't it perfect? What a piece of work! "'The sun will burn out, the seas will dry up, but this chap will be there. "'You mark my—' "'Hello, Ponder? The Dean wet a finger and held it up. ''We have the wind on our starboard beam,'' he said. ''That's good, is it?'' said the senior wrangler. ''Could be, could be. Let's hope he can take us to this continent,'' he mentioned. ''I'm getting nervous of islands.'' Ridcully finished hacking through the stem of the boat and threw it overboard. At the top of the green mast, the trumpet-like blooms appeared to tremble in the wind. The leaf sail creaked slowly into a different position. ''I'd say this was a miracle of nature,'' said the Dean, ''if we hadn't just met the person who did it.'' Hmm, rather it that. While wizards were not generally adventurous, they did understand that a vital part of any great undertaking is the securing of adequate provisions, which is why the boat was noticeably heavier in the water. The dean selected a natural cigar, lit it and made a face. Not the best, he said. Rather green. We'll just have to rough it, said Ridcully. What are you doing, senior wrangler?' Just preparing a little tray for Mrs. Whitlow. A few choice things. The wizards glanced towards the crude awning they directed towards the prow. It wasn't that she'd actually asked for it, it was simply that she'd made some remark about how hot the sun was, as anyone might, and suddenly the wizards were getting in each other's way as they vied with one another to cut poles and weave palm leaves. "'Perhaps never has so much intellectual effort gone into building a sunshade "'which might have accounted for the wobble. "'I thought it was my turn to do that,' said the dean coldly. "'No, dean, you took her the fruit drink, if you remember,' "'said the senior wrangler, cutting a cheese nut into dainty segments. "'That was just one small drink,' the dean snapped. "'You're doing a whole tray. "'Look, you've even done a flower arrangement in a coconut shell.' "'Mrs Whitlow likes that sort of thing,' said the senior wrangler calmly. "'But she did say it was still a bit warm, "'so possibly you can fan her with a palm leaf "'while I peel these grapes for her.' "'Once again it is left to me to point out the elementary unfairness,' said the dean. "'Merely waving a leaf is a very menial activity "'compared to removing grape skins, "'and I happen to outrank you, senior wrangler.' Indeed, Dean. And exactly how do you work that out? It is not my opinion, man. It is written into the faculty structure. Of where, precisely? Have you gone totally On Unseen university, of course. And where is that, exactly? said the senior wrangler, carefully arranging some lilies in a pleasing design. Ye gods, man, it's... it's... The Dean flapped a hand in the direction of the horizon and his voice trailed off as certain facts of time and space bore in on him. ''I'll leave you to work it out, shall I?'' said the senior angler, getting off his knees and raising the tray reverentially. ''I'll help!'' shouted the Dean, lumbering to his feet. ''It's very light, I assure you. No, no, I can't let you do it all by yourself.'' Each holding the tray with one hand and trying to push the other man away with the spare hand, they lurched forward, leaving a trail of spilt coconut milk and petals. Ridcully rolled his eyes. It must be the heat, he thought. He turned to the chair of indefinite studies who was trying to tie a short log to a long stick with a piece of creeper. "'I I, I was just thinking,' he said, "'that everyone's gone a little bit mad except me and you. "'Um, what are you doing there?' I was just wondering whether Mrs. Whitlow might like a game of croquet, said the chair. He waggled his eyebrows conspiratorially. The Arch-Chancellor sighed and wandered off along the deck. The librarian had gone back to being a deck chair as a suitable mode for shipboard life, and the burser had gone to sleep on him. The big leaf moved slightly. Ridcully got the feeling that the green trumpets on the mast were sniffing. The wizards were already a little way from the shore, but he saw the column of dust come down the track. It stopped at the beach and became a dot which plunged into the sea. The sail creaked again and flapped as the wind grew. Ahoy there! shouted Ridcully. The distant figure waved for a moment and then continued swimming. Ridcully filled his pipe and watched with interest as Ponder Stibbons caught up with the boat. Very well swum, if I may say so, he said. (laughs) Permission to come aboard, sir, said Ponder, treading water. Could you throw down a creeper? Why, certainly. The Arch-Chancellor puffed his pipe as the wizard climbed aboard. Possibly a record time over that distance, Mr. Stibbons. Thank you, sir, said Ponder, dripping water on the deck. And may I congratulate you on being properly dressed. You are wearing your pointy hat, which is the sine qua non of a wizard in public. Thank you, sir. It is a good hat. Thank you, sir. "'They say a wizard without his hat is undressed, Mr. Stibbons. "'So I've heard, sir. "'But in your case, I must point out that you are with your hat, "'but you are still, in a very real sense, undressed. "'I thought the robe would slow me down, sir. "'And while it is good to see you, Stibbons, "'albeit rather more of you than I would usually care to contemplate, "'I am moved to ask why you are, in fact, here.' I suddenly felt it would be unfair to deprive the university of my services, sir. Really? A sudden rush of nostalgia for the old Alma Mater, eh? You could say that, sir. Ridcully's eyes twinkled behind the smoke, and not for the first time Ponder suspected that the man was sometimes rather cleverer than he appeared. It would not be hard. The Arch-Chancellor shrugged, removed his pipe and poked around inside it to remove a particularly obstructive clinker. The senior wrangler's bathing costume is around somewhere, he said. I should put it on if I will. I suspect that offending Mrs. Whitlow at the moment will get you hanged. All right. And if there is anything you want to talk about, my door is always open. Thank you, sir. Right now, of course, I don't have a door. Thank you, sir. Imagine it as being open nevertheless. Thank you, sir. After all, Ponder thought, as he slipped gratefully away, the wizards of Yu were merely crazy. Not even the bursa was insane. Even now, if he closed his eyes, he could still see the god of evolution beaming so happily as the cockroach stirred. Rincewind rattled the bars. "'Don't I get a trial?' he shouted. After a while, a warder wandered along the corridor. "'What do you want a trial for, mister?' "'What? Well, call me Mr Silly, but it might just prove that I wasn't trying to steal the damn sheep, mightn't it?' said Rincewind. "'I was, in fact, rescuing it. If only you people would track down the thief, he'd tell you.' The warder leaned against the wall and stuck his hands in his belt. "'Yeah, well, it's a funny thing,' he said. "'But, you know, we searched and searched and put up notices and everything, but funny thing, you'll never believe this.' The bastard hasn't had the decency to come forward. Makes you despair of human nature, eh? So what's going to happen to me? The warder scratched his nose. Gonna hang you by the neck until you're dead, mate. Tomorrow morning. You couldn't perhaps just hang me by the neck until I'm sorry? No, mate. Gotta be dead. Good grief, it was only a sheep when all said and done. The warder grinned widely. Eh? Ah. A lot of men have gone to the gallows saying that in the past, he said. As a matter of fact, you're the first sheepstealer we've had here for years. All our big heroes have been sheep stealers. You're going to get a big crowd. <coughs> Maybe a flock too, said the warder. That's another thing, said Rincewind. Why is this sheep in my cell? Evidence, mate. Rincewind looked down at the sheep. Oh, well... "'No worries, then.' "'The warder wandered off. "'Rincewind sat down on the bunk. "'Well, he could look on the bright side, couldn't he? "'This was civilization. "'He hadn't seen much of it, "'what with being tied across the back of a horse and everything, "'but what he'd been able to see was full of ruts and hoofprints "'and smelled pretty bad, which civilization often does. "'They were going to hang him in the morning. "'This building was the first one made of stone he'd seen in this country. "'They had watchmen, even.' They were going to hang him in the morning. There were the sounds of carts and people filtering in through the high window. They were going to hang him in the morning. He gazed around the cell. It looked as though whoever had built it had unaccountably forgotten to include any useful trapdoors. Trapdoors. Now there was a word he shouldn't think about. He'd been in nastier places than this, much, much nastier. And that made it worse because he'd been up against nasty, weird and magical things which suddenly seemed a lot easier to contemplate than the fact that he was held in some stone box and in the morning some perfectly nice people who he might quite like if he met them in a bar were going to march him out and make him stand on a really unsafe floor in a very tight collar. (coughs) Meh, Shut up! (coughs) Meh. Couldn't you have had a bath or a dip or something? It's a bit agricultural in here. The wall, now his eyes had become accustomed to the gloom, was covered with scrawls, and in particular those little wicket-gate tallies drawn by prisoners who were counting the days. They were going to hang him in the morning, so that was one chore he wouldn't have to do. Oh, shut up, shut up. Now he came to look closer, most of the counts went up to one. He lay back with his eyes closed. Of course he'd get rescued. He always got rescued. Although, come to think of it, always in circumstances that put him in such a lot more danger than a prison cell usually held. Well, he'd been in enough cells. There were ways to handle these things. The important thing was to be direct. He got up and banged on the bars until the warder sauntered along the corridor. Yes, mate. I just want to get things sorted out, said Rincewind. It's not as though I've got time to waste, OK? Yep. Is there any chance that you're going to fall asleep in a chair opposite this cell, with your keys fully exposed on a table in front of you? They looked at the empty corridor. I'd have to get someone to help me bring a table down here, said the warder doubtfully. Hmm, can't see it happening, mister, sorry. Right, okay. Rincewind thought for a moment. All right, is my dinner likely to be brought in by a young lady carrying, and, and, and this is important, carrying a tray covered with a cloth? No, because I do the cooking. Right. Bread and water is what I'm good at. Right, just checking. Here, yeah, that sticky brown stuff they brought in with you is top stuff on bread, mister. Uh, be my guest. I can feel the vitamins and minerals doing me a power of good. No worries. Now, ah, ah, yes, yes. Laundry. Are there any big laundry baskets around which will happily get tipped down to a chute to the outside world? Sorry, mister. There's an old washerwoman comes in to collect it. Really? Rincewind brightened. Ah, a washerwoman. Big lady, bulky dress, possibly wears a hood which can be pulled down to cover a lot of her face. Yep, pretty much. Well, then... ''Is she due in, um...'' ''She's my mum,'' said the warder. ''Right, fine.'' They looked at one another. ''I reckon that about covers it then,'' said Rincewind. ''I hope you didn't mind me asking.'' ''Bless you, no. No worries. Happy to help. Worked out what you're going to say on the gallows, have you? Only some of the ballad writers want to know, if you wouldn't mind.'' ''Ballads? Oh, yeah.'' There's three so far, and I reckon there'll be ten by tomorrow. Rincewind rolled his eyes. How many of them have put Tu Ralura Ladity in the chorus? he asked. All of them. Oh gods. And you wouldn't mind changing your name, would you? Only they're saying Rincewind is a bit tricky to turn a line on. Concerning of a bush ranger, Rincewind was his name. It's got the wrong sort of sound. ''Well, I'm sorry. Perhaps you'd better let me go, then.'' ''Ha! Nice one. ''Now, if you want my advice, you'll keep it short when you're up on the gallows,'' said the border. ''The best famous last words are the shortest. ''Something simple generally works best. ''Go easy on the swearing.'' ''Look, all I did was steal a sheep, and I didn't even do that.'' ''What's everyone so excited about?'' said Rincewind desperately. "'Oh, very notorious crime sheep stealing,' said the warder cheerfully. "'Strikes called, "'Little man battling against the forces of brutal authority. "'People like that. "'You'll be remembered in song and story. especially if you come up with some good last words. "'Like I said.' The warder hitched up his belt. "'To tell you the truth, "'a lot of people these days haven't even seen a bloody sheep. "'But hearing that someone's stolen one "'makes them feel proper exians." It even does me uh, to have a proper criminal in the cells for once, instead of all these bloody politicians. Rincewind sat down on the bunk again with his head in his hands. Cause a famous escape is nearly as good as getting hanged, said the warder, in the manner of someone trying to keep up someone else's spirits. Really, said Rincewind. You ain't asked that the little grill in the floor there leads to the sewers, the warder prompted. Rincewind peered between his fingers. Does it? We ain't got any sewers. Thank you. You've been very helpful. The warder strolled off again, whistling. Rincewind lay back on the bunk and closed his eyes again. Bah! Shut up! Excuse me, mister. Rincewind groaned and sat up again. This time the voice was coming from the high, small barred window. Yes, what is it? You know, when you was caught. Well, what about it? "'Eh, what kind of a tree were you under?' "'Rincewind looked up at the narrow square of blue "'the prisoner calls the sky. "'What kind of a question is that to ask me?' "'It's for the ballad, see. "'Only it'd help if it was a name with three syllables. "'How do I know? I didn't stop for a bit of botany.' "'All right, all right, fair enough,' said the hidden speaker. "'Would you mind telling me what you was doing "'just before you stole the sheep?' I didn't steal the sheep. Right, right, okay. What was you doing just before you didn't steal the sheep? I don't know. I can't remember. Were you... were you boiling your billy by any chance? I'm not admitting to that. The way you people talk, that could mean anything. Means cooking something up in a tin. Oh, well, yes, I had been doing that, as it happens. Good on you. Rincewind thought he heard the sound of scribbling. Shame you didn't die at the end, but you're going to get hung, so that's all right. Got a beaut tune for this one. You just can't stop whistling it. Well, of course you will. No worries. Thank you for that. Reckon you might be as famous as Tinhead Ned, mate. Really? Rincewind went and lay down on his bunk again. Yeah, they used to lock him up in that very cell you're in now, in fact... And he always escaped. No one knows how, cos that's a bloody good lock and he didn't bend any bars. He said they'd never build a jail that could hold him. Thin fellow, was he? Nope. So he had a key or something? Nope. Gotta go now, mate. Oh, yeah, I remember. Uh, do you think your ghost will be heard if people pass by the billabong or not? What? It'd be helpful if it did. Makes a good last verse. Top stuff. I don't know. Well, I'll say it, Will, shall I? No one's going to go back and check. Don't let me stand in your way, then. Bonzer, I'll get these song sheets printed up in time for the hanging. Don't you worry about that. I won't. Rincewind lay back. Tinhead Ned again. That was just a joke. He could spot it. It was some kind of torture telling him that anyone had ever escaped from a cell like this. They wanted him to run around rattling bars and things, but even he could see they were well set in and very heavy and the lock was bigger than his head. He was just lying back on the bunk again when the warder turned up. There were a couple of men with him. Rincewind was pretty sure there weren't any trolls here because it was probably too hot for them, and anyway there wouldn't be enough room for them on the driftwood, what with all those camels but these men definitely had the heavy-set look of men who occupy the kind of job where the entrance examination is what is your name? and they scrape through on the third try. The warder was wearing a big grin and carrying a tray. ''Got some dinner for you,'' he said. ''I won't tell you anything no matter how much you feed me,'' Rincewind warned. ''You'll like this?'' the warder urged, pushing the tray forward. There was a covered bowl on it. ''I'll dan it special for you,'' It's a regional speciality, mate. I thought you said bread and water's what you're good at. Well, yeah, but I had a bash at this anyway. Rincewind watched gloomily as the warder lifted the cover. Any seasoned traveller soon learns to avoid anything wished on them as a regional speciality, because all the term means is that the dish is so unpleasant the people living everywhere else will bite off their own legs rather than eat it. But hosts still press it upon distant guests anyway. Go on, have the dog's head stuffed with macerated cabbage and pork noses. It's a regional speciality. It looked fairly inoffensive, but they often did. It looked, in fact, like pea soup, he said. Yep. The leguminous vegetable comes in pods. Yep. I thought I'd better check that point. now, nah worries. Rincewind looked down at the knobbly green surface. Was it just possible that someone had invented a regional speciality you could eat? And then, something rose out of the depths. For a moment, Rincewind thought it was a very small shark. It bobbed to the surface and then settled back down again while the soup slopped over it. What was that? Meat pie floater, said the warder. Meat pie floating in a pea soup. Best bloody supper on earth, mate. Ah, supper. Supper. "'said Rincewind, as realisation dawned. "'This is another one of those late-night-after-the-pub foods, right? "'And what kind of meat is in it? "'No, forget I asked, it's a stupid question. "'I know this sort of food. "'If you have to ask what kind of meat is in it, you're too sober. "'Ever tried spaghetti and custard? "'Can you sprinkle coconut on top of it?' "'Probably. "'Thanks, mate. I'll surely give it a go,' said the warder. "'Got some other good news for you, too. "'You're letting me out?' "'Ah, you wouldn't want that, a hard-bitten larrikin like yourself. "'Now, nah, Greg and Vince here will be coming back later to put you in irons.' "'He stepped aside. "'The wall-shaped men were holding a length of chain, "'several shackles and a small but very, very heavy-looking ball. "'Rincewind sighed. "'One door closes, he thought, and another door slams shut. "'This is, um, good, is it?' he said. ''Ah, you'll get an extra verse for that, for sure,'' said the warder. ''No one's been hung in iron since Tinhead, Ned.'' ''I thought there wasn't a prison cell that could hold him,'' said Rincewind. ''Oh, he could get out of them,'' said the warder. ''He just couldn't run very far.'' Rincewind eyed the metal ball. ''Oh, gods!'' ''Vince says, ''How much do you weigh?'' ''Cos he has to add the chains to your weight to get the drop right,'' said the warder. "'Does that matter?' said Rincewind in a hollow voice. "'I mean, I die anyway, don't I?' "'Yeah, no worries there, but if he gets it wrong, see, "'you either end up with a neck six feet long, "'or, you laugh about this, "'your head flies off like a perishing cork.' "'Oh, good. "'With Larrick and Larry, we had to search the roof all arvo.' Marvellous. (laughs) "'All arvo, eh?' said Rincewind. Well, you won't have that problem with me. I shall be elsewhere when I'm being hanged. That's what we like to hear, said the warder, punching him jovially in the elbow. A battler to the end, eh? There was a rumbling from Mount Vince. And Vince says he'll be very privileged if you'd care to spit in his eye when he puts the rope around your neck, the warder went on. That'll be something to show his grandchildren. ''Will you all please go away?'' Rincewind shouted. ''Ah, you'll be wanting some time to plot your getaway,'' said the warder knowingly. ''No worries. We'll be leaving you alone then.'' ''Thank you. Till about 5am?'' ''Good,'' said Rincewind gloomily. ''Got any requests for your last breakfast?'' ''Something that takes a really, really long time to prepare?'' said Rincewind. ''That's the spirit.'' Go away. No worries. The man walked off, but the warder strolled back after a while as if he had something on his mind. There is something that you ought to know about the hanging, though, he said. Might brighten up your night. Yes. We've got a special humanitarian tradition if the trapdoor sticks three times. Yes? Sounds a bit odd, but it's happened once or twice, believe it or not. A tiny green shoot rose from the blackened branches of hope. And what's the tradition? said Rincewind. It's on account of it being heartless to have a man standing there more than three times, knowing that any second he's. Yes, yes, and then all is. Uh, yes, and the worst part to my mind is where you. Yes, I understand. And so, after the third time, he's allowed back into his cell while we get a carpenter in to repair the trap door said the water. We even give him his dinner, if it's gone on a long time. And? Well, when the carpenter's given it a good test, then we take him out again and hang him. He saw Rincewind's expression. No need to look like that. It's better than having to stand around in the cold all morning, isn't it? That wouldn't be nice. When he'd gone, Rincewind sat and stared at the wall. Bah! Shut up! So, it was down to this, then. One brief night left, and then, if those clowns had anything to do with it, happy people would be wandering the streets to see where his head had come down. There was no justice. Good day, mate. Oh, no, please. I just thought I should enter into the spirit of the thing. A very convivial people, aren't they? Said Death. He was sitting beside Rincewind. "'You just can't wait, can you?' said Rincewind, bitterly. "'No worries.' "'So this is really it, then. "'I was supposed to have saved this country, you know, "'and I'm going to really die.' "'Oh, yes, this is certain, I'm afraid. "'It's the stupidity of it that gets me. "'I mean, think of all the times I've nearly died in the past. "'I could have been flamed by dragons, right? "'Or eaten by huge things with tentacles.' "'or even had every single particle of my body "'fly off in a different direction. "'You have certainly had an interesting life. "'Is it true that your life passes before your eyes before you die? "'Yes. "'Ghastly thought, really,' Rincewind shuddered. "'Oh, gods, I've just had another one. "'Suppose I am just about to die, "'and this is my whole life passing in front of my eyes?' "'I think perhaps you do not understand.' "'People's whole lives do pass in front of their eyes before they die. "'The process is called living. "'Would you like a prawn?' Rincewind looks down at the bucket on death's lap. Mm, "'No, thank you. I, I really don't think so. "'They can be pretty deadly, "'and I must say it's a bit much of you to come here "'and gloat and eat prawns at me. "'I beg your pardon. "'Just because I'm being hanged in the morning, I mean. "'Are you?' Then I shall look forward to hearing how you escaped. I am due to meet a man in... in... Death's eye sockets glowed as he interrogated his memory. Ah, yes. Inside a crocodile, several hundred miles away, I believe. What? Then why are you here? Oh, I thought you might like to see a friendly face, and now I think I had better be going. Death stood up. "'Very pleasant city in many respects. "'Try to see the Opera House while you're here. "'Hang on, I mean, hold on. "'You told me I was certainly going to die. "'Everyone is, eventually.' "'The wall opened and closed around death "'as if it wasn't there, "'which was, from his lengthy perspective, quite true. "'But how? "'I can't walk through,' Rincewind began. "'He sat down again, The sheep cowered in the corner. Rincewind looked at the untouched meat pie floater and gave the pie a prod. It sank slowly beneath the vivid green soup. The sounds of the city filtered in. After a while, the pie rose again like a forgotten continent, sending a very small wave slopping against the edge of the bowl. Rincewind lay back on the thin blanket and stared at the ceiling. Someone had even been writing on that, too. In fact... "'Good day, mate. Look at the hinges, Ned.' Slowly, as if being raised by invisible strings, Rincewind turned and looked at the door. The hinges were massive. They weren't screwed into the doorframe so that some clever prisoner might unscrew them. They were huge iron hooks, hammered into the stone itself, so that two heavy rings welded onto the door could drop right down onto them. What was the man talking about? He walked over and examined the lock closely. It drove a huge metal rod into the frame on its side and looked quite unpickable. Rincewind stared at the door for some time, then he rubbed his hands together and, gritting his teeth, tried to lift the door on the hinge side. Yes, there was just enough play, it was possible to lift the rings off the spikes. Then, if you pulled slightly and took a knee-wobbling step this way, you could yank the lock's rod out of its hole and the entire door into the cell. And then a man could walk through and carefully rehang the door again and quietly wander away. And that, Rincewind thought as he carefully manoeuvred the door back onto the hinges, was exactly what a stupid person would do. At moments like this, cowardice was an exact science. There were times that called for mindless, terror-filled panic and times that called for measured, considered, thoughtful panic. Right now, he was in a place of safety. It was admittedly the death cell, but the point was that it was perhaps the one place in this country where nothing bad was going to happen for a little while. The Axians didn't look like the kind of people who went in for torture, although it was always possible they might make him eat some more of their food. So for the moment he had time, time to plan ahead, to consider his next move, to apply his intellect to the problem at hand. He stared at the wall for a moment and then stood up and gripped the bars. Right, that seemed to be about long enough, now to run like hell. The green deck of the melon boat had been divided into a male and female section for the sake of decency. This meant that most of the deck was occupied by Mrs Whitlow, who spent a lot of the time sunbathing behind a screen. Her privacy was assured by the wizards themselves, since at least three of them would probably kill any of the others who ventured within ten feet of the palm leaves. There was definitely what Ponder's aunt who'd raised him would have called an atmosphere. "'I still think I ought to climb the mast,' he protested. "'Ah, a peeping Tom, eh?' "'snarled the senior wrangler. "'No, I just think it would be a good idea to see where the boat is going,' said Ponder. "'There are some big black clouds ahead.' "'Good. We could do with the rain,' snapped the chair of indefinite studies. "'In which case, I shall be honoured to make Mrs Whitlow a suitable shelter,' said the dean. "'Ponder walked back to the stern, where the arch-chancellor was gloomily fishing.' ''Honestly, you'd think Mrs Whitlow was the only woman in the world,'' he said. ''Do you think, um, she might be?'' said Ridcully. Ponder's mind raced and hit some horrible speed bumps in his imagination. (gasps) ''Surely not, sir.'' ''We don't know, Ponder. Still, look on the bright side. We may all be drowned.'' ''Um, sir, have you looked at the horizon?'' The everlasting storm was 7,000 miles long, but only a mile wide. A great turning, boiling mass of enraged air circling the last continent like a family of foxes circling a henhouse. The clouds were mounted up all the way to the edge of the atmosphere, and they were ancient clouds now, clouds that had rolled around their tortured circuit for years, building up personality and hatred, and above all, voltage. It was not a storm, it was a battle. Mere gales a few hundred miles long fought amongst themselves within the cloud wall. Lightning forked from thunderhead to thunderhead. Rain fell and flashed into a steam half a mile from the ground. The air glowed. And below, emerging from the ocean of potentiality in a rainstorm so thunderous that it was no more than a descending sea, rose the last continent. On the wall of the deserted cell in Buggerup jail, Among the scratches and stick drawings and tallies of a man's last few days, a drawing of a sheep became a drawing of a kangaroo, and then faded completely into the stone. So, said the dean, we're in for a bit of a blow. The grey line filled the immediate future like a dental appointment. I think it might be a lot worse, said Ponder. Well, let's steer somewhere else then. There's no rudder, sir, and we don't know where anywhere else is, and we're low on water anyway. Don't they say that a big bank of cloud means there's land ahead? said the Dean. Bloody big land, then, XXXXX, don't you think? I hope so, sir. Above Ponder, the sail flapped and billowed. Wind's freshening, sir. I think the storm's sucking the air towards it. And there's something else, I think. I wish I hadn't left my thaumometer on the beach, sir, because... "'I think there's a very high level of background magic in this area.' "'What may she say, this boy?' said the Dean. "'Well, for one thing, everyone seems to be getting a bit tense, "'and wizards tend to get strong... to get touchy "'in the presence of large amounts of magic,' said Ponder. "'But my suspicions were first aroused when the Bursa developed planets.' "'There were two of them orbiting his head at a height of a few inches.' As was so often the case with magical phenomena, they possessed virtual unreality and passed unscathed through him and one another. They were slightly transparent. "'Oh, dear. "'Mugroop's syndrome,' said Ridcully. "'Cerebral manifestation. "'Better than a canary down a coal mine, a sign like that.' A little subroutine in Ponder's head began a short countdown. "'Remember old Dickie Bird?' "'said the Chair of Indefinite Studies. "'He... three? No, I don't, as a matter of fact. Do tell!' "'Ponder heard himself bark, louder than he would have done, "'even if he had meant to vocalise his thoughts. "'Indeed I shall, Mr. Stibbons,' said the Chair calmly. "'He was very susceptible to high magical fields, "'and if his mind wandered, as it might do when he was dozing off, Sometimes around his head there'd be. <laughs> there'd be these little. Yes, certainly, said Ponder quickly. We'll have to be very careful to keep an eye open for unusual behaviour. Among wizards, said Rid Cully, Mr. Stibbons' unusual behaviour is perfectly ordinary for wizards. People acting out of character, then. "'Ponder shouted, talking sense for two minutes together, perhaps, "'acting like normal civilised people "'instead of a herd of self-regarding village idiots. "'Stibbons, it's not like you to take that tone,' said Ridcully. "'That's what I mean.' "'Now then, Mostrom, go easy on him. "'We're all under a lot of stress,' said the Dean. "'Now he's doing it,' Ponder yelled, pointing a shaking finger. "'The Dean is normally never nice. "'Now he's being aggressively reasonable.' Historians have pointed out that it is in times of plenty that people feel like going to war. In times of famine, they're simply trying to find enough to eat. When they've just enough to go round, they tend to be polite. But when a banquet is spread before them, it's time to argue over the place settings. In fact, it's the view of the more thoughtful historians, particularly those who have spent time in the same bar as the theoretical physicists, that the entirety of human history can be considered as a sort of blooper reel. All those wars, all those famines, caused by malign stupidity, all that determined, mindless repetition of the same old errors, are in the great cosmic scheme of things only equivalent to Mr Spock's ears falling off. And Unseen University, as even wizards realised it somewhere just below the top level of their minds, existed not to further magic, but in a very creative way to suppress it. The world had seen what happened when wizards got their hands on enormous amounts of magical power, It had happened a long time ago, and there were still some areas where you didn't go, if you wanted to walk out on the same kind of feet that you'd had when you went in. Once upon a time, the plural of wizard was war. But the great, open, ingenious purpose of UU was to be the weight on the arm of magic, causing it to swing with grave majesty like a pendulum, rather than spin with deadly purpose like a morning star. Instead of hurling fireballs at one another from fortified towers, the wizards learned to snipe at their colleagues over the interpretation of faculty council minutes, and long ago were amazed to find that they got just as much vicious fun out of it. They consumed big dinners, and after a really good meal and a fine cigar, even the most rabid dark lord is inclined to put his feet up and feel amicable towards the world, especially if it's offering him another brandy. And slowly, and by degrees they absorb the most important magical power of all, which is the one that persuades you to stop using all the others. The trouble is that it's easy to abstain from sweets when you're not standing knee-deep in treacle and it's raining sugar.